Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Are you glad you're here? Let me get unpacked, move my plant. How many of you know there's not power in a palm branch until Jesus says there's power in a palm branch? There's not any power. I know I said this at nine, so if you're here, you're welcome. Uh, There's not power in walking around walls until Jesus says there's power in walking around walls. It may seem really silly, but if Jesus said to do it, you better do it. Uh, if Jesus told the prophet to tell somebody to go dip in a certain river seven times, you better make sure you got the right river and you dip seven times. Because if Naaman went to the wrong river or only dipped six times or dipped eight times, Naaman wasn't getting clean. When the Lord speaks, he releases the ability to do what he gave the command to do. Does that make sense? So when we, see, when we sing things, ooh, I feel the Lord. When we sing things like, you said it, I believe it. Theologically, what we're saying is, is you spoke, and now the ability to do what you said is available. Not because of anything else, but because simply you said it. You said it. It doesn't matter who or what stands in the way, you said it. It doesn't matter if it's the biggest fortified city in the promised land. You said it. It doesn't matter if the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Roman government have control of the city. You said it. And when you said it, everything changed. Because your voice, your word changed the whole circumstance and the whole situation. Because the book says that the whole universe is held together by the word of his power. His word holds together everything. And when he releases a word to a man, a word to a woman, a word to a family, a word to a circumstance, he invites us into a shift that changes everything. So when we say, you said it, I believe it, we're not just hyping ourselves up with, oh, you gave us a pat on the back or an encouragement. We're saying, you brought the ability for everything to be changed. For everything to be changed. Oh, Jesus, we love you. (laughs) Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. You are the king. You are the king. You are not a king. You are the king. You are the king. You are the king. You are the king. You're the king. I asked the Lord before... I preach what he wants to do because he's the boss. And I um, and Sister Hall can attest to this. Pastor the Apostle can attest to this. At nine, I felt like I made this announcement. I felt like he said he wanted to, to heal people in worship today. Um, six months or so ago in October, the Lord spoke prophetically and said he was going to begin to heal people in worship in this house. A week or two later, Bishop uh, Foster, Foster, right? Bishop Foster came And said that the Lord was going to start to heal people in worship in this house. He didn't have a clue that the Lord had said that. A week or two after that, we made the announcement. Hey, the Lord wants to heal people in worship. Tina Overstreet was sitting right about there. And when we made the announcement, hey, the Lord wants to heal people in worship. If you have pain in your body, begin to move it around or work it out. She said she had pain in her feet. She slipped off her shoes, began to move her feet around, and the pain left. Brother Enoch was sitting right back here around where Chris was sitting, I think, and he had pain in his back that he's had for years. And when, we, when the word was spoke, he said he felt something in his back, but he's had the pain for so long he was scared to say anything. So he went home and he tested it out. And a week or so later, he came back and he said, the pain's gone and I can't make it come back. When Randy came up and gave the testimony, I was reminded that the Lord spoke that, was talking to me about that this morning in prayer. You know, in, in Hebrew, the word testimony 
um, the, if you trace back the etymology where that word originates from, it originates from a word that means to repeat or to do again. A testimony of the Lord is not just an encouragement of the Lord. <laughs> a testimony of the Lord is not just a, hey, the Lord was awesome. It is that. But a testimony of the Lord is an invitation into a moment where the Lord wants to do again what he's already done. It is an invitation. And it is not by happen chance that Pastor Matt got stirred up, as we would call it, in a moment after a testimony came of what the Lord had done, after he had already been speaking this morning about wanting to heal people in this place. So you can leave that alone if you want. But if I was sick in this place or if I was hurting in this place, I'd start checking it out. I'd start checking it out. And that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning, but I would leave that with you. I would start checking it out. The Lord wants to heal people in this place because he is forever the healer. Last thing, I promise. Exodus 15, 26, the Lord brings Israel through the, I think it's the last thing. He's still the boss. The Lord brings Israel through the Red Sea. He meets them on the other side of the Red Sea. He begins to talk to them and introduce himself to the people of Israel. He introduces himself, Exodus 15, 26, as the Lord who heals you. He is not the Lord who healed, past tense. He is not the Lord who will heal you. He is the Lord who presently heals. Who presently heals. Jesus is not the Lord who will heal or the Lord who has healed. He is always the Lord who is ready to heal now. Who is ready to heal now. That's how he introduced himself to Israel before there was a cross and before he ripped his back open before all of Rome. Yeah, that's it about that. Okay. All right. Luke 19. Are you happy it's Holy Week? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's 12 o'clock. I promise that I will be done when the Lord says we're done. And you can forward all complaints to Pastor Matt. <laughs> I'm joking. Don't complain to Pastor Matt because I'll find out about it. All right, Luke 19. I love Holy Week. Christmas is awesome. Holy Week is glorious. Holy Week is glorious. I was reading a, um, a, a non-canonized piece of text this week. It's not Scripture, so you don't hold it in the same, the same context as, as Scripture. It, it doesn't have the same uh, infallibility as Scripture. You, you treat it like a testimony. But it's a, it's a story. It's a story that that talks about when Jesus made his descent and, uh, and it says that Hades looked at Satan and said, we have been conquered. We have been conquered. The king of glory showed up and the gates flew open and Hades made the commentary, we have been conquered. I know we like to post on Facebook and everybody's going to start posting it, so whatever, post whatever you want. We like to post that Hell was celebrating for three days. I want you to know, hell wasn't celebrating for even a moment. When he drew his last breath on that cross, and he took his first breath in the depths of Hades, and he who is all light stepped into all darkness, they knew exactly what they got a hold of. They knew exactly what they got a hold of. And there was no celebrating going on. He tormented them for three days. He tormented them for three days. They were begging him to leave by the time he busted out of there. And led captivity captive. All right. That's not what we're talking about today either. But Luke 19. The triumphal entry. Let's start with verse. Uh, oh Jesus. Let's start with verse 35. We're going to read a few verses. And we'll talk about it. Okay. Verse 35. And they brought it. The donkey to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the colt. And put Jesus on it. Now, as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, with a loud voice. 
a loud voice. It is very loud when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a group of people. A loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Shouting, blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and glorify the name of Jesus. I pray for utterance, Lord, that this word would come forth to speak to your people. I pray that the soil of hearts would be ready to receive the good seed of the kingdom. There are no duds in the kingdom. There are no bad seeds, but there is only good seed. We pray today that it would take deep, deep root, grow down so that it cannot wither from the heat of the sun and that it would grow up to produce good fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. This is like the wildest worship set, wildest worship environment you've ever been a part of. Jesus is fulfilling a 550-ish year prophecy that a king is coming. A king is coming, and he's going to sit on a donkey, which is a weird prophecy, but he's going to sit on a donkey, and he's going to ride into Jerusalem. And these people who have been waiting for 550 years see that here comes their king, He is sitting exactly like the prophet said he would. He is riding in exactly where they said he was going to be riding in. He is doing exactly what the prophet said he was going to be doing. Fulfilling to a T the requirements of the prophets. Fulfilling to a T the requirement of the prophets. Some of the gospel writers tell about how Jesus gets the donkey. Which is actually a pretty crazy story to me. That Jesus like, go into that city. Take that guy's donkey. If he says to you, what are you doing? Say, don't worry about it. The Lord's taking it. And the guy's just like, sounds good. That's great. Which, that guy had to be on the same page too. Can you imagine? The Lord's like, tomorrow I'm stealing your donkey and I'm sending these two rough guys into town when they get there and they steal your donkey. How do I know which guys are supposed to steal my donkey and which guys aren't supposed to steal my donkey? So, the Lord comes riding into Jerusalem. It must be the Lord because I don't ever talk like that during a message. The the Lord comes riding into Jerusalem on this donkey and the Holy Spirit is overtaking a people. How many of you have been in a worship service where it feels like you're on autopilot? Where it feels like you're on autopilot. Like you're there and and you're participating and you're lifting your hands and you're maybe you're moving your mouth and producing sound, but you're just kind of a participant. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is making sure that a moment in history is marked. It is not just a group of disciples and town folk that got really excited and climbed trees and cut down branches and took their clothes off and threw them down and out of excitement and pure joy. There is some joy mixed in. Um, Oh gosh, I don't know if I'm supposed to... Yeah, I'm going to go there. Anytime the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not going to be all spirit. There's always going to be some humanity mixed in. There's always going to be some humanity mixed in. And people who like to sit back and critique will always point out the humanity. Don't look for the humanity. Look for what the Lord is doing. You can always find humanity in a service. You can always find humanity in a service. You know why? Because he's housed in jars of clay. The jar is clay. You can always find what the jar looks like. Don't look for the jar. Look for what he's doing. Look for what he's doing. So the Holy Spirit envelops, wraps up, grabs a hold of a group of people and snatches them up in a moment and says, I'm going to mark this moment for all of eternity. For all of eternity. It's represented in all four Gospels. All four Gospels represent the triumphal entry. All four of them. And it's such a glorious moment. It is such a glorious moment That the Pharisees come over and say it's too glorious. That's the religious. That's the religious. They're looking at the humanity of it. It's too glorious. And they say, calm it down. Settle these folks down. And and chill everybody out. To which Jesus responds, you don't want me to do that. Because if I do that, things are going to get real crazy. 
And those rocks over there are going to grow mouths and tongues and lips. And they're going to start praising. And they're going to start praising. That is the, that is the level of, uh, if I can say, presence that is in this moment. That's how I know that it's not just... Um, that's how I would theorize. I shouldn't say no. That's why I theorize that it's not just excitement. Because Jesus says there's, there's such a... a um, an engine of the Holy Spirit in this moment, that something has to be the vehicle through which the praise comes. And if the people shut themselves down, he'll find something else. He'll use a donkey if he has to. I mean, he rode in on a donkey. Balaam got spoken to through a donkey. So the Lord's like, listen, the praise is coming out. It's coming out of somewhere. If the people lock themselves down, it'll come through the rocks. That's why I theorize that it's not just joy, right? The Holy Spirit is moving in such a way. It is a, I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture for you here. It is a glorious moment. It's, it's not just like a, like a birthday party. It's not like the beer cheese festival downtown. It's not just like happy and people are excited. It is a glorious moment. It is the most glorious moment probably any of us can imagine. It is more glorious than any of us. It is more glorious of a moment than any of us have ever been in. There is more presence and power and glory and, and there's more Jesus in this moment than any of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. None of us have ever been in a moment that if we just sat down and were quiet that the walls would start singing out praises, I don't think. Maybe you have, but I haven't. And there's such glory in this moment. But what Jesus does next messes me up. What Jesus does next messes me up. So again, you got the picture, right? It is full of glory. It is, it is triumphant. It is wonderful. It is marvelous. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, I don't know that he, I think he's still on the donkey. When he approached Jerusalem, this is what he does. In this glory, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he wept over it. Okay, those of you who said, I've been in those glorious moments. I've been in those worship services where I was on autopilot. I've been the vehicle where I was just kind of playing the role and the Holy Spirit was taking over. How many of you left that moment and immediately felt so sorrowful, I want to sit down and cry? No, you don't. There is such joy in those moments in the Lord. I'm, I'm not talking about um, let me clarify. I'm not talking about a burden given by the Lord because those, those, are, those are biblical. Those are justified. The Lord will birth a burden in you and begin to, begin to cause you to cry out for something or someone. I'm talking about you begin to be so overcome with grief or sorrow that you go from this joyous celebration all of a sudden to a complete 180 of your emotions to I want to sit down and cry. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. The, the, the scene shifts so violently, it doesn't make sense. So why does it do that? Why does it do that? I want to I take you back to Zechariah real quick and, and read um, the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling as he comes in uh, into the city here. Okay, Zechariah 9. I know all you Bible-loving people have it memorized, but we're, I'm just going to read it for my sake, okay? Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous, endowed with salvation, humble, and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's beautiful. That's what... Uh, Matthew, Mark, and I believe even John quote in their Gospels. They quote Zechariah 9.9 and directly correlate it with Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The problem is, that's not the totality of the prophecy. Zechariah 9.10 is also a part of the prophecy. Does that make sense? So, when we're looking at, this is just kind of basic Bible studying, okay? When someone quotes something from the Old Testament in the New Testament, we assume they knew the context. Does that make sense? Um, when someone quotes something from the Old Testament on YouTube, we assume they don't know the context. Does that make sense? That's funny. You can laugh. 
Okay, in the New Testament, when a writer quotes the Old Testament, we assume they don't just know that verse. We assume they know the verses around that. Because to know the context of a text, you have to know the pretext, the text, the post-text. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? All right, everybody alive? I promise I'm not going to kill you today with Bible study. Okay, Zechariah 9.9 is beautiful. It tells us the story of Jesus getting on the donkey, being humble because he's on a donkey and he deserves a horse and a sword and to come in valiantly. But he doesn't do that because he's a humble and beautiful king. But he gets on a donkey. That's what Zechariah 9.9 is about. What does Zechariah 9.10 say? Because it is a continuation of that same prophecy. Let's read it. Zechariah 9.10. So he comes in even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, and doesn't sound like the start of something new, does it? And I will eliminate the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be eliminated. And he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the, Euph- and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Okay, now hang on a second. Zechariah 9.9 is beautiful, humble, meek and mild Jesus on a donkey waddling his way into Jerusalem. I don't know if donkeys waddle or not. Making his way into Jerusalem. And that's what they quote in Matthew. I believe it's Matthew, Mark, and John. That's what they quote. Luke doesn't quote it, but we know the context. Okay, 9.10 is a continuation. The fulfillment of the prophecy, the fullness of the prophecy, essentially says this king is coming. He's going to look humble, but what he's really going to do is he is going to bring destruction to the powers that are already there. Does that make sense when you read verse 10? So verse 10 says things like he's going to eliminate the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem, the bow of war will be eliminated. Okay, that doesn't sound like what Jesus did, does it? We know because we are post-Calvary and we are post-resurrection, we know that that's what Jesus eventually did because we have, we have the context of looking backwards at what Jesus did. But the crowd that was there did not have that context. Okay, let's go back to the crowd in Luke 19. Are you okay? I know I got you flipping around. I got markers everywhere in this thing. All right, Luke 19. Jesus is in this glorious celebration, this wonderful celebration, and he comes out of this celebration and he begins to weep over the crowd. Why? He tells us. Verse 42, or I'll read 41 again. He approaches Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. 42. If you had known this day the conditions of peace, But now they have been hidden from your eyes. 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will put a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. 44. And they will level you to the ground and throw you down, your children within you. And they will not leave leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you were ready to celebrate me when you saw me on a donkey. Because you thought me on a donkey was going to lead to me in Jerusalem. Kicking Roman tails and throwing Pharisees out. And getting rid of the rulers and the powers and all of those folks in Jerusalem. But that's not what I came to do. And because you had a pre Uh, because you had a presupposition of what I was going to look like in fulfilling the promise, you missed me fulfilling the promise. Did Jesus fulfill the promise of Zechariah 9.10? Did he? Yes. He fulfilled the promise of Zechariah 9.10. Did it look like what they thought it was going to look like? No, it didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like at all. They thought he was going to be a conquering king, and he chose to hang on a tree instead. He chose to hang on a tree instead. And because they had these, they had these original ideas of what the fulfillment of the promise had to look like, they missed Jesus showing up. They missed Jesus showing up. Do you hear me? They 
missed Jesus visiting them because they said, when you show up, this is how you have to look. We, okay, I'll do it this way. I miss Jesus often showing up because I say, when you show up, you have to look like this. And it's not a heaven or hell issue. I mean, for some folks it might be. But it wasn't a heaven or hell issue, but it brought years, decades, generations of delay to the promise. It is just now that the Lord is recouping His bride in Israel. Just now. And it was 70 A.D. when the Romans finally destroyed Jerusalem. When they, when they came in and they wiped out Jerusalem. And just now, just now there's starting to be a real bride birthed in Israel. Just now. There's starting to be a real bride birth in Israel. That is how long the delay was when Jesus said, I was standing right in front of you. But because you had an idea and a concept and a presupposition of what I had to look like when I showed up, you missed me. You missed me. You missed me. And it's not a finger point. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Because we often miss him. We often miss him because, i got to go back down. Jesus is really, really, really good at telling us where we're starting and where we're ending. But he doesn't usually give us the in-between details. He doesn't usually give us the in-between details because this thing is a relationship. And if he gave me the map quest directions from the beginning... What would, I, I hope you hear my heart on this. I hope you hear my heart on this. But what would the relationship be needed for? If he told me where I was starting, where I was ending, and the steps I needed to get from here to there, what would I need the relationship for? Now listen, I love him and I, I ain't going nowhere. But I'm saying lots of folks, if they got the directions from here to there, they would abandon this. They would abandon this. And he cares way more about this than he ever will about getting you there. He wants you there, but he will abandon there for the sake of this. He will never forsake this. He will never forsake this relationship. This takes priority. He hung on a tree for this. He took nails for this. Your promise is worthy and your promise is high on his priority list. But you are his bride and he cares way more about sitting you on his lap and wrapping his arms around you than he ever will about whether you hold a microphone or teach a class or sing a song or teach a lesson. First and foremost, Isaiah said, you are married to your maker. You are married to your maker. And if that weirds you out, then I don't know what to tell you. Because he is strange in the most beautiful ways. He is strange in the most beautiful ways. But he doesn't give us the in-between steps. He does not give us the in-between steps. And what happens is, he will birth a promise in the heart of someone. And then in birthing that promise, he asks us to come back and back and back and back to this relationship to say, Lord, I don't understand. I'm seeing a piece of it, but I don't get the full picture. Okay, Lord, thank you for that part, but now this doesn't make sense. Lord, now none of it makes sense. Lord, I give up. How many of you have been there? Lord, I give up. Okay, Lord, never mind. It's the next day. Never mind. Give it back. He never took it in the first place because he knows better. And now, Lord, now I see another piece of it. It makes a little more sense. Now I see another piece of it. Now it makes less sense. But it's this continual relationship through which we interact with a living, breathing person that we get from the inception to the promise. And when we get a promise and we say, I know exactly how this is going to play out, we are setting ourselves up to miss him. We are setting ourselves up to miss him. Because I think, I don't know that I can prove it scripturally, but I think he will intentionally show up in a way that is contrary to the way I think he's going to show up. Just to make sure I don't think I have it all figured out. Just to make sure I don't think I have it all figured out. Because it's a relationship. It's a relationship. He said, 
because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. In other words, it's not that the visitation didn't happen. We know Jesus was there. Jesus was as available as he could have been in the flesh. In the flesh. It's not that the visitation didn't happen. He said, you didn't recognize it. It was disguised. It was hidden. It was, it was unseen by you. Concept in scripture of revelation. Anytime you see revelation in scripture, it's not that something new becomes available. When something is revealed to you in scripture or the Lord reveals something about himself, he's not making something new available. It's like, it's like if I put a, a blanket over this, over this podium and you didn't know what was underneath. If I took the blanket off, there's revelation there now. It's been revealed to you. It's not that something wasn't there. It's just you knew something was there. You had a feeling something was there. You just had no idea what was there. When the blanket comes off, all of a sudden, ah, now I can see. Now I know what's there. Does that make sense? The visitation was happening. Jesus was making himself available. Jesus comes and makes himself available. He says, you don't see me. You don't see me because I come lowly. I come in ways that you never expect. Because we expect the Lord to have... Oh gosh, I, remember, I wish I could remember who it was. I don't remember who it was. I was listening to a minister maybe a couple months ago. And he said, I, I, uh, oh that's who it was. It was, it was somebody from Bethel. He said, I, I graduated Bethel third year, which is the end of their, their school. He said, I graduated Bethel third year. And he thought... He said, I thought for sure Billy Graham's ministry was going to call me. Like the Lord was going to give Billy Graham a word of knowledge with my phone number. And they were going to call. And I was going to accept a full-time position for, you know, X number of thousand dollars a year. And they were going to fly me out. And I was going to live in the hills of North Carolina and travel the world with Billy Graham. And, that, and it sounds silly, but how many of you have played out that type of scenario? Maybe not that exact scenario, but that kind of scenario in your head. Because, because our, idea, our idea of how to get there is way different than the Lord's idea of getting there. And, and Gabe, the, the guy I was listening to, Gabe was like, I, I thought that's how I was going to get into ministry. And the Lord's idea of how Gabe was going to get into ministry is he took a job as a custodian at a, uh, he took a job as a custodian at a local hospital. And he served as a custodian. He would pray for patients as he walked by the rooms and mopped floors. And that's how Gabe got into ministry. Because that's what our lowly king does. He sits on a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem. And he walks over palm branches when he used to walk streets of gold. And he walks willingly into a city so that he can be nailed to a tree. Because that's what our lowly king does. So he calls us to walk a lowly path. And it looks way different than we ever thought it would look. It looks way different than we ever thought it would look. I'm almost done. I'm going to give you one more, okay? Psalm 147, I am all over the place, verse 11, Psalm 147, verse 11, the NASB says, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his faithfulness. Those who wait for his faithfulness. The, uh, the fear of the Lord is an interesting subject. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into that because we'll be here for forever. But the fear of the Lord includes honor and respect. But that is not the totality of it. John Bevere. Uh, how many of you know who John Bevere is? Author. Publisher. He, uh, he has one of the coolest summaries of the fear of the Lord that I think I've ever heard. He said, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of the Lord. It's being afraid to live without Him. He said, it's, it's living your life in a way. It's living your life in a way that you live to be in relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? That's, uh, that's as much as I'm going to do on that, okay? Because that's not the, really the part I want to get to. But it says, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his faithfulness. I know we've all heard in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord. And we've talked about waiting as being intertwined and with the Lord. And waiting isn't a sitting and waiting. And waiting is a, 
you know, waiting is a, an active waiting. This waiting isn't that kind of waiting. This waiting is actually a, uh, it's a hoping. Those who wait on his faithfulness here, it's those who hope for his faithfulness. It's those who are expectant for his faithfulness. So the verse would say, the verse would say, the, fav- the Lord favors or is pleased with those who live their life in this way to be in this relationship with Him. Those who wait for His faithfulness. In other words, the people that know they are carrying a promise from heaven. That know they are carrying something. And they don't know when it's going to show up or how it's going to show up or where it's going to show up. All they know is they are expectant. That at some point, Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. But between now and then, I'm not putting him in a box. I'm not setting standards that say you have to show up in this way with this, with this kind of formula. It doesn't have to be trumpets blaring or angels singing. And there doesn't have to be feathers or gold. dust. Like you don't have to blow the walls off the place and rip the roof off. Like you can show up however you want. Because I'm just going to live in this relationship. And I'm going to live hopeful and expectant. And I'm going to live joyful waiting on your faithfulness. Because if you are anything, you are loving and you are faithful. You're loving and you're faithful. And the scripture says that his favor rests on those people. His favor rests on those people. That he actually is pleased with and is favorful to those people. Even in the waiting? Even in the waiting. Because uh, 21st century American Christianity will tell you, you ain't made it until the promise shows up. But the scripture says, even in the waiting, the favor of the Lord can rest upon you. Even in the waiting, especially maybe in the waiting, the favor of the Lord can rest upon you. The pleasure of the Lord can rest upon you. Well, I haven't, I haven't made it yet. I haven't, I haven't met him or her yet. I haven't, I haven't got the job yet. I haven't fulfilled the promise yet. I haven't started to speak yet. I haven't taught the classes yet or sang the song. Yeah, but the favor of the Lord can rest upon your life. The favor of the Lord can rest upon your life if you live in such a way that you say, I'm just trusting you. And until that day comes, I'm not telling you how to do it or when to do it. I'm just going to live in a relationship with you and tell you every day, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And that's enough for me. And that's enough for me. Because he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Above all things, he is faithful. I waited 27 years to preach my first message. 27 years. That's a long time. Abraham only had to wait 25 years. I waited 27. I'm going to tell him about it one day. 27 years. I've got other promises that I hope I don't have to wait 27 years for. But if I do, I will live in his favor until I see him. I will live in his goodness until I see him. This house holds promises. And some people can forget about them if they want, but I won't. I won't. Because we are resting in the favor of the Lord. Uh, Even if we haven't met yet, even. Even if we haven't got there yet. Even if we haven't fulfilled it yet. Even if we don't see the fullness of it yet, we are resting in the favor of the Lord. His hand is on us. His goodness is toward us. His face is shining upon us. David said, let your face shine upon me that the nations might see. That the nations might see. Let your face shine upon me. What is his face? It's his favor and his loving kindness. He is faithful. He is faithful. And I refuse to put him in a box. I refuse to tell him how he must show up. Because he defies all odds. He defies all odds. Jerusalem missed him. Because they said our king is coming. And this is what he's going to look like when he comes. And boy he's going to mess the Romans up. And those religious elite are in trouble when he shows up. And Jesus is like no. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. I'm not opening up my mouth. Like a sheep before her shearers is dumb. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to go silently and quietly. Pilate said, what's the truth? And Jesus stood silent. 
said, do you have no answer for their accusations? Nothing. And he fulfilled what the Father had for him. And they totally missed their hour of visitation. Because he looked way different than they thought. I refuse to miss my moment of visitation. I refuse to miss my moment of visitation with Jesus. Okay, you can stand with me. We love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. If we just, <clears throat> just for just a minute, if we could just bow our heads. I just want to, um, before we do anything else, I feel like we're maybe supposed to do a couple of other things, but before we do anything else, I just want to ask, um, maybe you listened this morning and you thought, that sounds great, but um, I don't feel like I have any promises on my life because I don't really know Jesus. Um, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know him. I've listened to people talk about him, but I've never met him. If, um, if that's you in here this morning, would you just slip your hand up? If there's anybody, I'm not going to stay long. I just, I just wanna, felt like I was supposed to ask. I'm just going to give you just another few seconds. Anybody in here? Okay. And we're all in. And we're all in. I felt like there was... Um, a couple of things we were supposed to do today. Um, I want us to keep our head bowed for just a minute. I felt like the Lord said this morning that there were some folks in here. Um, some folks who have been battling. Um, thank you, Jesus. Some folks in here who have been battling fear. And I don't, I'm not talking about fear relative to situations. Um, although, jump in on that if you want. I'm talking about crippling, lingering. Those are the words, I, these are the words I wrote down. Crippling, lingering, oppressive fear. Crippling, lingering, oppressive fear. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how how I, I felt it this morning. When I walked into a room, I felt, I felt, when I, I felt it when I walked into a room. It's like I was met when I walked into a room. And it was, it was almost overwhelming. And, um, and that's how the Lord showed it to me this morning. If we could all just hold still for just a minute. The Lord is, the Lord is going to minister to some people today. If that is you and you are battling that crippling fear, I want you to just slip your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I just want you to stay where you're at. The Lord's going to minister to you right where you're at. And I feel like I have a verse that the Lord gave me for you. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yep. Thank you, Lord. Yep. I see you. Thank you, Lord. And you can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I want you to look up at me real quick. Listen, I, you don't have to write this down right now, but I want you to write it down at some point. Isaiah 26.3. And if this isn't you, hang on for just a minute because we're going to do something after this too, okay? The Lord's ministering to people today. Isaiah 26.3. I like the way the ESV says it. And I didn't just go through and pick out a verse. I felt like this is what the Lord said. You keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Whose mind has stayed on you. Now hang on, hang on. Listen, that sounds great. And it sounds super, um, I don't want to say religious, but it kind of does. And it's like, I'm sure if you've been battling fear for very long at all, you've heard those kind of verses. It's like, what does that even mean? 
that word for stay, it means to lay or to lean or to rest on. It's, it's literally to lean into. It's like, it's like your kid would lay their head over on your chest. Does that make sense? Okay, this is what I felt like the Lord said. I feel like the Lord wants you to, this is going to sound silly maybe or crazy maybe, and, and I just, I would try it. I would try it. If it doesn't work, you're back where you are, so can't get worse. I feel like the Lord wants you to lean into Him. That means the next time you walk into a room and fear shows up, I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus as best you know how. We're going to pray in just a second, okay? I want you to picture Jesus as best you know how. If cartoon Jesus is all you know, then picture cartoon Jesus. I'm serious. If, if blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus is all you know, picture that. He'll take it. And if you can't picture the face of Jesus, this is what I felt like the Lord said. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Stare at the cross. If you stare at the cross long enough, you'll see Jesus. If you stare at the cross long enough, you'll see Jesus. I want you to hold your hands in front of you like this. Like a little kid getting ready to get a gift. Because Jesus is going to give you a gift of freedom today. Brandon's not going to give you anything because Brandon can't give you anything. But Jesus is going to give you freedom today. If you've been battling fear, I want you to hold your hands out in faith. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture the face of that beautiful wounded Savior. Precious Jesus. Precious, wonderful, beautiful Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have promised to keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. Lord, we thank you that that promise is sure and it is steadfast because you are the Word of God. You, Jesus, are the Word of God. And Father, we thank you for the bravery of your sons and daughters to say, that's me, I'm struggling this morning. That's me, I'm fighting this morning. That's me, I'm battling this morning. And Lord, I ask right now that you, Jesus, would break every oppression, every fear, every anxiety. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of fear off of these men and women of God. I break the power of fear. You have no authority. You have no authority. In Jesus' name, I speak freedom. I speak release. I speak wholeness. I speak peace in Jesus' name. You go from this place whole in Jesus' name. You go from this place whole in Jesus' name. The power of the Lord goes before you. And the peace of the Lord guards you in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, wrap them in your precious presence. Wrap them in your holy presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. <laughs> More, Lord. More, Lord. Holy Spirit, we say more. Come, Holy Spirit. Every stronghold broken in the mighty name of Jesus. Every stronghold broken in Jesus' name. Freedom flows in this place like a river. For with you, Jesus, is a fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. You give your children to drink from the rivers of delight. I feel the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, if you're praying, stay where you're at. A couple more things. This is so generic. So, I mean, everybody can jump in on this. I've, there's there's um, 
there's just people in the room we're carrying promises and it feels like they're a million miles off and I know that's so generic that everybody could jump in on that but it 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 feels like um, oh help me Lord I, I feel like for some of us it felt like we knew like you knew he's showing up at this moment and that moment came and went and he didn't show up with the fulfillment does that make sense to anybody? Like you knew. You knew. Like that, that day I could have circled it on the calendar. That was when he was showing up. And it came and went. And he didn't show up. And I feel like the Lord is saying this morning. That it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't a judgment against you. And it wasn't condemnation against you. That, that, you uh, that you were still in the process of preparation. And he refuses as a good father to hand over the keys yet to let you partially fulfill the destiny that he has for you. To let you partially fulfill the destiny that he has for you. And then, and then I... Um, yeah. I thought there was one more, but that might be it. Yeah, so if that's you, just hold your hands out. Father, we thank you that you are a good father. And that, Lord, you have good promises for your people. And that, Jesus, you know exactly when. You know exactly when. We thought we had the date circled on our calendar, but, Jesus, you do have the date circled on your calendar. You know the day, you know the hour, you know the minute of the fulfillment. And Jesus, you are not dangling it like a carrot in front of our face, watching us run this race and watching us trip over ourselves and watching us make a fool of ourselves. But Jesus, you are training us and you are preparing us and you are making us firm foundations that are ready to step in and carry the full weight of the glory that you have prepared for us and made ready for us. So Jesus, I release peace and grace to your people that they wouldn't be anxious that they wouldn't be nervous but Lord that they would be joyful that in your goodness you have reserved these things and haven't handed them over yet and haven't handed them over yet but you're waiting for the day when we're fully ready and we thank you Lord we thank you Lord in Jesus name we thank you Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name does that make sense does that make sense all right Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're wonderful, Lord. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.